This morning I want to talk to you for the next however long from this topic, Be Still and Know. It's, it's something that uh, I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning. In case you couldn't tell, that's what these are under here. <laughs> uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you walk and do the things that, that you're called to do, I, don't, I, I hate titles uh, because I think when people find their identity, identity in titles, it's all really that they got. But if you find your identity in who you are, the titles is just something they add on to you. But when you walk and have the responsibility and stuff that I do, uh, you don't sleep a whole lot anyways. And uh, you're out of practice, lady. I remember a day Elizabeth could take a baby, and that baby wouldn't make a noise. What are you, have you done to that child? My goodness. And you're going to stay out of practice because if I have a grandkid the next five or six years, it's going to be on, Buttons. Be still and know, and this is what has been stirring again and again and again in my spirit, uh, and I believe it's for this time. Uh, I don't think this is a bad time. In fact, I think it's a wonderful time. I think it's a wonderful time to live. Um, I remember that the old prophet said, and it was picked up in the New Testament, he said, of the end or, or, or of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there would be no end. And either the prophet meant what he said and Jesus fulfilled it or he didn't. I'm going to go with he did. And if he did, then today his kingdom is still increasing and the peace of God is still increasing. And the only reason that may not be increasing in your eyes is because you might not be looking in the right places. But I can promise you of the, of the increase of his kingdom, and the, the, the kingdom means the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign. Of the increase of the royalty of God, of the reign of God, of the understanding that this is a kingdom, that a kingdom is being manifested through a people. I'm not looking for a city that's going up, but one that's coming out. And, uh, and of his peace, there would be no end. And so um, when we become aware of what is already reality now, and that's the issue. This is really the issue. In fact, it's probably the, the only issue that we have is, is the, the thing that keeps us hanging in the balance between the ethereal, the, the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, which is, it coexists at the same time with the natural realm, is just our understanding. It's our awareness. And, and you will always, you will, in fact, I think Bill Johnson, you will always release the kingdom of which you are most aware. So if you're always aware of, you know, if, if you're having dreams about snakes and darkness and demons and all that stuff, then you probably release that. And that's probably the kingdom you're aware of. And that's, that is a real kingdom as well. But if you're, if you're aware of, of Jesus Christ, the righteous, and, and you believe what Paul said, that Jesus by death destroyed him that had the power of death, um, then, then you become a, an agent releasing the light of the kingdom. And so the kingdom is now. <laughs> so uh, it's just, that's the same, but it, it's funny that Jesus said essentially, in probably much smoother words, the same thing 2,000 years ago. Boys, the kingdom of heaven is in, within you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. And they had no clue, not a clue, Bible scholars, mind you, what he was talking about. But it was a reality then, and it's an ever-present reality, even all the way up into 2021. Thank God that we're not waiting for a kingdom to come. His kingdom is here. And so what we do is we turn our attention towards a kingdom that is already, a kingdom that is already now, and we understand ourselves as conduits by which the reality of that kingdom manifests in this earth. And that's how the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. It's as we become aware of our identity as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a very peculiar people, as we understand who we truly are, then the kingdoms of this world, we understand, wait a minute, we, we are already in charge of this stuff. And by say, when I say in charge, I'm talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living within us. 
There is no challenge that can stand before us if we approach that challenge, as I said last week, by the Spirit of God within us. When David met Goliath, he didn't meet Goliath with a stone. He said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It was a, it, he was, it was a preamble to what was going to be a reality in the new covenant, that it doesn't matter what's thrown about, uh, about us, the Spirit of God that lives within us, that is a quickening spirit, that is a, a life-giving spirit lives within. So no matter what dead situation tries to present itself, I bring life. So I want to talk, but, but I do, and, and it's been in my heart, it's been in my soul. Uh, it, it's, this Be still and know. It's from, it's from Psalm chapter 46. I'm going to read the King James Version because it's just so eloquent. It's so beautiful, and I love the, the, the poetic styling of the King James Version. We're all familiar with it. And then I'm going to read it from a, another translation too. But Psalm 46, it says, uh, this is uh, God, the refuge of his people and the conqueror of the nations. To the chief musician. Now, this is important to remember this. This is not a part of the verse. Uh, but verses, in case you didn't know, and I, you may know, and if you do, that's fine. Uh, in the original writings, there are no chapters and verses. That's just a way that things were broken down for our reference. Did you know that? Okay, so when we, so when, uh, so the, before there's a verse one, there's this to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. So forty six one, God is our refuge and strength. He's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and, uh, with its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Isn't this just poetically beautiful? And we cannot have a clue what in the world it means and be like, oh man, that's beautiful. And probably most people don't. I'm going to tell you though, so... You've fastened your seatbelts in about 30 minutes. You're going to know how to read this and what it, exactly it means. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. My goodness. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. Or breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And here it is, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Isn't it beautiful? Be, it, you wouldn't even have to preach it. You could just hear him saying it. Uh, just maybe we could all just close our eyes for a minute. And put yourself where you actually are in a circumstance that you may be facing. And hear the voice of the almighty God saying, be still and know. I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Now, I'm going to read it again, and, and I believe this is from the, the Message Bible. It might be from the Passion. For the pure and shining one by the prophetic singers of Korah's clan, a poetic song to the melody of hidden things. God, you are such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. 
You're a proven help in the time of trouble. More than enough and always available. That's what I thought I was going to title it. More than enough and always available. Don't you know God is more than enough and always available? Doesn't matter what the question is and it doesn't matter what the want is. It doesn't matter what the desire is. It doesn't matter what the need is. He is always available and he's more than enough. It reminds me of the New Testament scripture that says, that says but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It reminds me of another scripture that says, He is able to do exceeding abundantly, not more than, but above, which is from a different realm. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. Why? Because it might be out of your mind, but it's not out of God's mind. You can't think. You don't have the capacity to think in a way of the goodness that God has planned up and the treasure that he has stored up for your life in the here and now. You can't possibly fathom all of the love and all of the, uh, of the inheritance that is coming your way. And all my job is is to convince you that you're worthy and that you are truly an heir. God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time, more than enough, and always available whenever I need you. So we will never fear. Even if every structure of support were to crumble away, we will not fear, even when the earthquakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Aren't you glad that it doesn't matter what the, what the situation is that presents itself to you or the roaring and the crashing of the waves against your life? It will not erode my faith in him because... Oh. God can tell you to step out on a limb. And a lot of times with God, you feel like you are out on a limb. But if God tells you to step out on the limb and someone takes a saw to cut the limb down, the limb will stay in the air and the tree will fall because God told you to step out there. That's how Peter understood when Jesus said, come, he didn't step on the water. He stepped on the word. And the word was come. When he thought he was walking on water, that's when he began to sink. But he had enough sense like a lot of us to say, Lord, save me. You ever been sinking in your life? You ever been going down and, and, and you had taken a step of faith and you felt like, like nothing could stop you, like the, whole, like the whole world would move before you, but then all of a sudden fear creeps in and you get your eyes off of Jesus and you begin to sink. Just have enough sense in that moment to say, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down and grabs Peter by the hand. and You know the story. So we will never fear, even if every structure of support were to crumble away. We'll not fear even when the earthquakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Selah, but this says, Paul's in his presence. The King James here says, Selah. And the understanding is, Paul's in his presence. He's reminding us, be still and know. What are you afraid of? Why would there be fear to creep in? Be still and know. I don't think sometimes it's just God saying to his people, be still and know. But it reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament. Do you remember when the disciples, Jesus had told his disciples to 
get in the boat and go across to the other side of the lake. And so they got in and you've heard me preach before. They get out about in the middle, about seven and a half nautical miles out in the middle of this lake. And all of a sudden the sun is down, it's dark and the waves begin to beat up against the boat. And some of these were professional fishermen. And the one translation, I think it's in Luke says, and the winds were contrary. Do you remember the scripture? It literally blowing against, it's almost as though they were antagonistic. In fact, if you were to look up the word contrary, from your King James Bible when it says and the winds were contrary, you're going to find that the definition of the word contrary were antagonistic, which is to say you ain't going to get where you're going. I'm going to keep you from your destiny. And that's what the winds were saying. And yet when Jesus finally comes, what is it, the words that he says? Peace be still. He wasn't talking to his disciples. He was talking to the storm that had come against the disciples. And I think sometimes we hear God say be still and know to us because we're his children. But sometimes I think he also wants to remind the storm. Be still and know I am God. One of the most powerful phrases of the song it is well is, is the winds and waves still know the voice of the one that said, be still. There's an old song that says sometimes he calms the storms and sometimes he calms his child. And sometimes he does both with the same words. Be still and know that I am God. I am creator. I am God. Pause in his presence. The next time that this is so simple and it's so good. And it's so neat Eli. The next time that something presents itself to you and you feel overwhelmed and you feel that anxiety come on. I want you to pause in his presence. Hear him saying to you and to the storm, be still. And no, let me get to what I want to say today. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Paul's in his presence. God has a constantly flowing river whose sparkling streams bring joy and delight to his people. His river flows right through the city of God most high into his holy dwelling places. Hello, holy dwelling places. You are the holy dwelling places that the river, that the Holy Spirit, that, that flows into. You're quiet today, except about three of you. I appreciate all of you. God is in the midst of of his city secure and never shaken at daybreak his help will be seen with the appearing of the dawn when the nations are in uproar with their tottering kingdoms God simply raises his voice and the earth begins to disintegrate before him here he comes the commander the mighty lord of angel armies is on our side remember that song Chris Tomlin wrote a while back that one the God of angel armies is always by my side. This is, this is where it comes from. The God of Jacob fights for us. Selah, Paul's in his presence. It's Paul's in his presence understanding that the God of Jacob fights for us. That he's the God of angel armies. Do you remember when Gehazi and Elisha were out and they were surrounded by enemy armies and they looked all around the hills all around them and they were being and it's just it's just it's just a couple of guys and guys like most church people like Elijah what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and Elijah's probably scratching his old bald head like God what did you give me this person for 
why did you, why did you, why do I have to train up the knuckleheads? Anybody ever felt that way? Not me. I've never thought that. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, it's like that. What is that on, uh, on our brother Arthur? What are we going to do? <laughs> and he says, he says, Lord, would you please open his eyes to let him see not something that's going to happen, but what's already present now. The issue was not that the angel armies weren't there. The issue was Gehazi's eyes weren't open to see a reality that was already present. But finally, Elisha said, would you just open his eyes? He's sitting there. I imagine he's eating beef jerky. And I don't know why beef jerky, but probably because it's expensive. Why is beef, why is beef jerky so expensive? I've wondered that my whole life. You can buy a big fat. This is, I'm just going to chase this rabbit, Joey. And then we're going to get back on the trail. You can buy a big, fat, juicy steak for half the price of a dehydrated piece of meat that you got to chew like tree bark. And I love it, but what is that? $7.98 for a little baggie of beef jerky. For $7.98, I'm halfway to a Logan's Roll and steak. You know what I'm saying? So y'all do you, but I'm trying to have some real meat. But I see Elisha sitting, eating his beef jerky like, what in the world? The difference was not a reality. The difference was Gehazi's uh, awareness of the reality. My job today is not to come to show you anything. My job is to help your eyes get open so you can become aware of something that is already presently a reality in your life. My dad used to sing, open, remember, open his eyes. He actually sang this thing. Do you remember the song? Rebecca would remember it. Maybe the only person in the, you and mom. You would remember it. Barbie, you've been around for a day or two. That's the one. God simply raises his voice and the earth begins to disintegrate before him. Paul's in his presence. Everyone look, come and see the breathtaking wonders of God. For he brings both rain, or I'm sorry, ruin and revival. He's the one who makes conflicts and, and, and it, it conflicts in throughout the earth, breaking and burning every weapon of war. Surrender your anxiety. Some of y'all need to hear that. Surrender your, surrender your anxiety. Which is to say, anxiety don't have control of you. You have control of it. Which is to say, you have the right in this moment, whenever you feel anxious, when that anxiety is coming on, to surrender it. How do you surrender it? The God of angel armies. What you do is you, Selah, you pause in his presence and remember, be still and know. And when you are still, and I'm going to tell you what that is in a second, and you know, I'll tell you what that is too. It'd be real easy to say, I'll easily surrender this anxiety. How can anything stand before me? I said last week, if God be for us, who can be against us? Surrender your anxiety. Be still and realize, I am God. Be still and know. I am God. I am God above all the nations. And I am exalted throughout the whole earth. Here he stands, the commander. The mighty Lord of angel armies is on our side. The God of Jacob fights for us. Paul's in his presence. There are so many wonderful truths to be discovered in this chapter. The first of which is David writing to the chief musician, which is Jesus, by the way. Jesus is the chief musician. And for the sons of Korah who were known for their worship. Listen, because I'm talking to a church. What's the name of this place again? True Vine what center? That's what I thought. In fact, they were lead worshipers and instrumentalists. And on the front line when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. You ever thought about that? For 40 years, Saul sat upon the throne 
as the first king of Israel. And, and the, the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, do you remember when they lost the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of the Lord? You know, whenever the Lord would tell his, his, his army, the Israeli army, to go out in battle, they would always take the Ark of the Covenant before them. And if the Ark was there, they would win the war. It was just a type of us understanding. If we take the presence of God with us wherever we go, we can't be defeated. But one day, Eli's sons, and Eli was the priest. Remember, Eli was the one that Samuel, when little, he wasn't, Eli wasn't doing his job anymore. So uh, Hannah had a boy. She had prayed for God to give her a son. I, I got to skip through a lot, but prayed, God, give me a son. If you give me a son, I'll lend him to you all the days of his life. And so God honored her voice. He gave her a son, and her son's name was Samuel. And just as a, at, a, at a young child age, she, she, she grabbed his little uh, fat hand and took him up to the temple and said, I promised you that I'd lend him to you all the days of, of his life. And in the, in the evening hours, when the sun had gone down, uh, Samuel would hear, Samuel. He got up and ran into Eli and said, Eli, did you call me? Eli almost became like a father, except he wasn't a father figure. He was a mean old priest. And the Bible says that he was, uh, the Bible speaks of his weight specifically. There's nothing wrong with being heavy, skinny, fat, whatever you want to be is fine. But it specifically mentions that because he had become lazy in his duty as the priest of the temple. And so he said, that wasn't me calling you. Go back to bed, boy. And so Samuel comes again. Finally, he says, if you, if you hear it again, just say, Lord, here I am. And that's exactly what happened. Samuel would grow up and become, as you know, the prophet whose words would never fall to the ground. But, uh, and it would be that Samuel that would anoint uh, Saul as the first king, but also Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that should have been, that were the sons of the priest, they should have walked in the priesthood, except they were evil. And the Bible said they were given over to, uh, to, to, to right, right living, lasciviousness and things like that. And, and, and they, they basically, you know, were whorish living, I think is the way the King James puts it. And so one day the, the, the armies of God were, were in battle and they were losing the battle. Hophni and Phinehas break into the Holy of Holies, get the, uh, or get the Ark of the Covenant, bring it down to the battle. And guess what happens? The Philistines steal it. Did you know that? They stole it. That's right. That's exactly right. And for years, and you know the whole reign of Saul, not one time, the Bible says, did he ever even inquire about the Ark of the Covenant because there, you got people that get in places of authority. They don't really care much about the presence. They care about their title. But the moment David gets in, he was a man after God's own heart, remember. And that wasn't his testimony. That was God's testimony of David. How about that? He said, I have chosen for me a man after my own heart. David was such after his heart that he said, I won't go into battle, and I won't rule, and I won't reign, and I refuse to wear a crown except that the presence of God goes. And so you know that David finally goes and he gets in on the way back. He tried to put the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. You can't do that. It's supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. What does that mean? It means you're not going to program the presence of God into your ministry. He was always supposed to be carried in on the shoulders of the priests. But at any rate, finally they bring the Ark of the Covenant and it's the chief priest, the chief musicians that went in before David. And this is the moment where David begins to dance, the Bible says, and he danced with all of his might and his wife hated him for it. You imagine being the wife up in the balcony looking down on your husband who's supposed to be this distinguished king and he's great and he's dancing but he doesn't care because he's so lost in the presence of God that not anything that had been put on him outside of the garment of praise could stay. He stripped himself of everything he was wearing except the garment of praise and he danced in the streets because he was was so excited that the presence of God was there. And you can always tell, uh, uh, 
You can always tell a church that'll celebrate you when you when you about the presence of God. You can always tell one that don't care anything about the presence because when the presence comes, it's uncomfortable and things get uncovered. And I don't like that. And this feels out of this feels weird. But these were these are the chief priests. These are the, the chief musicians that we're talking about. I know I got to move on. We're worshipers here, bringing and singing the song of the Lord and bringing his presence, his rule, his realm, and his reign, his kingdom back to States Vegas. Statesville. What is, the, what is it that God gave us four years ago, almost four years ago now? Statesville will become synonymous with the glory of God. Do you remember we met at the Civic Center and prophetically it came over, bubbled up out of me one day and we've been saying it ever since. And I walked into that ugly three-headed witch, Hecate, out in the front of the fresco that needs to be burned to the ground along with the spirit that represents it and that energizes it. Well, that's a pretty picture. Well, you probably ought to open your eyes and realize it ain't nothing but a witch and it represents the control of Jezebel. You still here? That's our job. Songs, of, songs upon Alamoth means sung by the sopranos. That's what it means. Soprano means the, utter, upper, the uppermost part or the highest voice. Are you listening to anything? So we sing to God the tr as the, the true song of true sons, and we sing with the highest voice to honor and bring the presence of God back to Statesville. Uh, the chapter also begins and ends with this phrase, God is our refuge. However, the key verse and the highlighted phrase, which I want to talk about for the next five or ten minutes, is this. Be still and know. Some theologians believe that it's the voice of God calming his people, as if he's saying relax, because indeed the word be still, if you look up that phrase be still, it literally means relax. Look it up in your Hebrew. Calm down. I said it this morning. I say it a lot. I got six kids at my house. And sometimes if they don't have all the answers or they don't know what, especially if Jacob, Mom, what are we eating for supper? This boy, you got teenagers in your house? Is it normal at 9 o'clock for the boy to be wondering what you're eating for supper that night? I mean, before good morning, Mama, or good morning, Daddy, or anything else, Mom, what's for supper tonight? Is it true? That's just true. And I mean, Elizabeth just got to the point where she says, what's for supper is what I put on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, relax. Who was it, Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago that had the shirt relax on it when the Green Bay Packers weren't doing well? Wound up winning the Super Bowl that year. He just put, wore a shirt out to one of the press conferences because they were just hammering a guy and he just said relax. Wasn't it, wasn't it Rodgers, Joey? Other theologians believe based on the context and the context is being in the middle of war, battle, or crisis that God was talking to those that were opposing his people. As though he says to the opposing armies the same thing Jesus said, as I told you a minute ago, to the winds and the waves which are contrary, peace be still. Whether he was talking to his people or their enemies or both, the truth remains he's calling and declaring peace, be still, and no. Now, now be still is rafa. That's the, that's the Hebrew word. And it means this. It means to slacken, to abate, to cease, to consume, to draw, to, re, to relax, to be slothful, to forsake. Specifically, to rest. Be still and know the Lord's telling you. Rest. Rest. You, you're fighting and you're beating yourself to death fighting and you're trying so hard. 
and you've kept all the rules and you've done all the stuff and you've followed all the programs. Rest. Rest. You're trying to prove something. You, got, you don't have a thing to prove to me. Rest. Rafa. And know, which is yada. That's the Hebrew word, and it means to know, to ascertain by seeing. We don't rest because we don't know. That's essentially what we're, be still and know if we understand what it means. The reason that we're not still, the reason we don't re relax, the reason we don't rest is because we don't know. One, who he is, we know nothing about his nature, and two, who we are. And we can't know who we are if we don't truly know who he is. In fact, most of it, there's an old saying, and I think Henry Ford said it, and Mark Twain said it. I don't know who actually coined it. Uh, it, was, it was probably a different theologian. He said that God made man in his image, and man returned the favor. Which is to say, we make God in our image. So if we're easily angered, and we change our mind, and we backbite, and we gossip, we automatically assume that's what God does. If we get mad at our kids and, and discipline a specific way, we assume that we have no choice. We project upon God. The, the writer of the shack said this. and He, he said, I had a, had a father. And, and the reason he went through a lot of the stuff, I won't give his testimony. Uh, Paul, William Paul Young. But he, he said, it took me almost 50 years to wipe the face of my dad off of the face of God. We project upon God our understanding of Father. And if we don't have that, and a lot of times, especially in current society, and there are, there are actually uh, political forces now that want to destroy the nuclear family. If you want to destroy the nuclear family, I can tell you, you are standing against God. God's perfect desire and perfect design is for there to be a father and mother house. And I know a lot of mothers that are single mothers that are having to do the work of both. And my hats are off to you because I think you, you should be doubly blessed for having to do it. It's not a curse that I'm pronouncing, but God always intended for there to be a daddy and a mama in a house. And anything that wants to attack that is attacking God's purpose and God's principle. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, it won't work. God's enemies always have to be still. I've already told you. Rafa and Yada, say it with me, Rafa and Yada. Be still and know. And when you know who he is and what he's like, well, what is he like? He's good. And he's always good. And he's always only good. Well, yeah, he's good, but he's also righteous. That's a part of his goodness. His righteousness and his holiness does not contrast his mercy and love. I hate, I hate when people, people try to draw a contrast. Well, by God, he's love, but he's also holy. Yep. You're, you're saying a redundant thing. Like it's not, it's not, well, this side of God's, you know, righteous, but this side of God, here's mercy. It's, just, it's all the same part of him. And did you know God does not have a split personality? Did you know that? He doesn't. He's not mad one minute and happy the next. He's not mad at Barbie for something she did, but he's okay with, 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 with anybody else. He, Gail doing it. He, that's not the way he is. He's always only good. It amazes me that we have to preach things. We have to try to convince people of God's goodness. Isn't it crazy? The, the enemy's done his job really, really, really well because the moment in any church, especially in Western society, that you say God is good, there's always a, but he's also righteous, brother. I, I didn't say he wasn't. His goodness flows from his righteousness. His righteousness flows from his goodness. I thought I was going to preach this morning. I didn't. John chapter 17. This is the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever read it? 
Most of us think the Lord's Prayer is our Father, which are in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the pattern prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. This is, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, just about to pour out his soul. And the Bible says he prayed so hard that his sweat became as great drops of blood. What it really was, was it was, a, it was an old priesthood that had to do with sweat, not being able to sweat in the old priest, becoming a new priesthood, which was a priesthood after blood. But anyways, that's a whole different point. And, and it, he's, he's kneeling there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. And this is the prayer that he prays. He said, Father. Father, they've never seen you. He says it. Go read it for yourself. The world has never seen you, but I've, I've made you known. When they seen me, they see you. The purpose of the manifestation of Jesus was to reveal the nature of the Father. And Jesus' nature has never been, it's not, it wasn't then, it isn't now, in contrast to the nature of the Father. He is the nature of the Father. In fact, He is the Logos. He is the Word or the full expression, the, the, the intellect of God is Jesus. So if you want to know how God Father thinks that you've never seen, all you got to do is look at the picture, which is Jesus. And Jesus would say stuff like this, forgive your enemies. Now, do you actually think that Jesus is going to command you to forgive your enemies, but He's going to burn His enemies in hell forever? Oh, my God, I better hide now. I'm just asking a question. It deserves to be asked. He preaches the sermon on the mount, and he says, blessed are this and blessed are that. And he says, forgive your enemies, love your... I, you've heard by them of old time, an eye for an eye or two. But I, but I say, forgive, love your enemies. Don't just forgive them, but love them. And if they steal your coat, give them your shirt too. Better not do that. I started taking my shirt out. I should, probably shouldn't do that. Now, is Jesus going to wind up being the ultimate hypocrite? And he is really nothing like his father. His father's still kind of ticked off at everybody. And, you know, 90% of everybody that's been created is going to be in this eternal inferno for what we understand is forever. But just the few that do the right stuff and say the magic prayer, they get to go and get their house in the sky. Is that what we've reduced the gospel to? It's not the gospel of the kingdom. And I don't care who says it is. They're wrong. And I didn't hear somebody else say this except the father. But think about this. It just bears, bears Jesus says... Forgive your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use and abuse you. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to torture mine forever, but you have to forgive yours. Just would you just think on it? Here we go. Pause in the present. We've been duped. We've been lied to. And we don't, know, we don't know the depth of our inheritance. And we don't know the reality of the price that Jesus actually paid. He was not trying to convince God to forgive us. The Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus. Reconciling the world unto himself. The picture of Father is the one that drops everything on the porch of his house and sees the Son, still a far way off, and runs to his Son and falls down and kisses him on the neck. And the Son is going to say the magic prayer to get saved. And the Father interrupts the prayer and says, bring the best robe in the house and bring my shoes. And by the way, bring my ring. Why your ring, Father? Because when he signs my name and stamps it with my ring, it's as if I said it myself. I'm restoring his sonship. And Jesus came to restore sonship. He came to show and become the prototype of the New Testament church, the sons and daughters of God who thought it not robbery, but still humbled ourselves. Oh, that's a hard stuff, Josh. No, it's not. It's called truth. It's called truth. And we're not still, and we don't rest, and we don't relax because we don't know. 
We're still performing, trying to earn his forgiveness, trying to earn his approval. I don't, I don't have a, I literally have no problem with performance. Earlier this morning on this stage, we literally performed. And a lot of people hate saying, well, we don't perform in our church. Well, did you play an instrument? Yeah, well, you performed. A lot, of, a, a lot of it's really bad, not here. A lot of the performance isn't good. That's okay. But you perform. Do you know worship? You don't have to play guitar to worship. In fact, worship is not something you do. Worship's who you are. Right. Worship is your life. This is an expression of worship. And it is. You know, we used to battle with that, especially in the charismatic churches. You know, well, by God, I'm not up there to perform. Then why'd you pick up a guitar? Why do you have a microphone? God's not deaf. He didn't need you to sing over the PA system to be heard. You performed, and that's okay. As long as there's anointing to go along with your performance, it's okay. I think we should do all things in excellence. The reason this team is good is because I will not settle for anything less than our best, the excellence. And I don't, it's not, not just me. I'm, I'm, I want things to be done in excellence. I've said that multiple times. And I think that the team does things in excellence, but this was a performance. But that's okay. It was also anointed. It was also a sacrifice. We show up. We give our talents, our time. We're here at 830. We're here an hour and a half for really two hours or two and a half for a lot of you. Before you guys even come through the doors, we're already here preparing and wanting to be ready. But it is a performance. That's not a bad thing in itself. But if you feel like you have to perform to get God's acceptance or you have to perform to get God's goodness or you have to keep these set of rules or these laws so that you can be accepted, you've been duped. There's not a thing in the world that Rachel has to do for me to accept her as my daughter. She just is. And so because she is, when she comes out here, and she, Elizabeth and I were watching through some of our old church videos last night on YouTube, and it was so funny because when we had COVID, you may have watched the video, we had COVID, the worship team was up here singing, and Rachel, about the fourth or fifth video weekend, she realizes there's a camera right there. And she, she always dances like this on Sundays. But when she realized the camera was there, she started turning around. She wanted everybody to see her. She's doing her worship, and she is literally just doing her thing. None of the moves are scripted or made up. And I will sit there and watch it and completely and utterly be just, just drawn in to how much she loves to worship the Lord. He's the same way. So, yes, is it a performance? Yes, she performs, and I love to watch it. But if she never danced up here one time, or if none of the kids ever played music, music they're still my children. Do you understand? If they never did a thing that I wanted them to do and, and I had this vision for the life and they didn't go and walk in that, that, that path that I thought they would walk in, it doesn't cause them not to be my children. God doesn't, listen, you should hear this. God doesn't become your father. He just is your father. Maybe that's the best way I can put it. He doesn't become it. Like you don't say a prayer and, you, and then God becomes your father. I'm for you praying. I'm for, I'm for what they call the sinner's prayer. I know about walking the Romans road. I've been up and down it 57 million times. I get the Romans road. But if you think that's what made God your father, you've been duped. That's a lie. No, he was already your father. He's your father. Do you actually think there would be breath in your body by anyone other than the creator? It doesn't matter what mommy and daddy did to get you here. You don't have breath outside of the Ruach, outside of the only one, the only one, the only one that has ever been able to give life, which is the life giver, which is Jesus, which is, which, who is the Logos, which is the intellect of God. God gives life. We don't have to perform for him to accept you. What he wants you to do is be still and know. And the knowing is, when I'm, 
oh, he's my, my daddy. This is my father that owns everything. My father that created everything. My father that loves me. And, and even if I mess up, and, and you probably will and you probably have. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to look for an excuse. Well, since he's my daddy, by God, I'm going to live like. No, but I messed up. But, it, but he's still my father. He didn't change my last name because I made a mistake. I, my last name stayed the same. He's still my father even when I messed up. In fact, he loves me so much that, that he went to pay the price for my mess up. All right, now I got to get finished. I know y'all ready to go. Rolfa and yada, be still and know. Know in this instance means to properly ascertain by seeing, to acknowledge, to acknowledge and be aware. I've heard it said, and I have said, we don't have a seeing problem, we have a looking problem. We don't have a problem seeing, we just don't, we're not looking at the right thing. Have you ever noticed? You always will see whatever you look at. Kind of sounds logical, right? It's the same thing with, with, with our perception. If you're always looking for problems and you're always looking for mistakes and you're always looking, then that's what you're going to see. But if you begin to say, wait a minute, I see him as a good father. I see him as a loving father. And I see myself as fully and completely accepted and accept, accepted in the beloved as the way the king, accepted by him. Not because of my performance, but because of what he did. I'm born into this thing. Then you, your, whole, your whole nature changes. And then, and, then, and then you praise and you come to church and you do an, an expression of worship from a place of rest and from a place of security and from a place of favor and not trying to earn favor. From favor, not for favor. Almost finished. Be still is the posture we take so we can know. How many victories have gone uncelebrated because we weren't aware? Much of the ploy of the enemy is deception. We get so worked up that we miss the reality of the moment. And, in, and that reality is this. He is with me. And if God is for me, who, I said last week, can be against me? Who, not as a question, but as a challenge, if God's for me. If he's actually for me, and that's, therein lies the problem. We don't really believe God's for us, but let's just, let's just take for granted. If God is for me, who could stand against me? What could be against me? No question, but a challenge. The reality is the Holy Spirit is the river that flows into his temple, which you are, and makes glad the city of our God. Make glad literally means to cheer up. How about that? He wants to cheer you up. Well, I love this. My dad used to say this, uh, you're saved? Yeah, well, maybe you should notify your face. Are you full of the joy of God? Yeah, well, maybe you should tell your face. You know, he said it all the time. He, you know, he's just so blunt and rude like that. And I've gotten more like him in my old age so much that I'm like, he wasn't rude at all. He was just trying to tell you the truth. Maybe you ought to notify your face. <laughs> did, he, did he say it? And then he probably would blow his nose, say he's not embarrassed, and get on to the next thing. <laughs> The reality is the Holy Spirit is that river. Make glad means to cheer up. How could we not be glad when we understand the fight is fixed, the battle is won, and the victory is ours? The fight, I said the fight is fixed, the battle is won, and the victory is ours. Our issue is not that we've lost the battle, but that we've been asleep and missed the victory that he already won on our behalf. But because he is a gracious father, instead of chastising us, he is reminding us, be still, relax, and remember. 
If you're not to a place where you know, you do know, but if you don't know, first remember. Remember what? Remember the goodness of God. Remember the God who parted the sea and drowned the enemies in that sea. Remember the God who spoke out of the burning bush. Remember the God who was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember the God who resurrected Abraham's dead loins and Sarah's dead barren womb. Remember the God who breathed into a bag of dust and caused man to stand up. Remember the God who flung the stars into space with his fingertips. Remember the God whose wisdom is so deep and whose power is so immense that none could take him on and come out in one piece. By the way, I'm reading from Job. You might not know that. Remember the God who moves mountains before they even know what happened and who flips them on their heads with a whim. Remember the God who gives the earth a good shaking up and rocks it down to its very foundations. If you're not ready to be still and know, then remember the God who tells the sun, don't shine and it doesn't shine who pulls back the blinds on the stars stand still and remember the God who stretches out the heavens and strives on the waves of the sea we're talking about an all powerful omnipresent omniscient God who sees all and knows all and is in all and is, is through all. He doesn't, he hasn't left you neglected or forsaken, William, play on the piano, or abandoned. He hasn't forgotten anything that he's promised you. And he sees you right in the middle of the storm where you are. Even when the disciples were in the middle of the storm, in the middle of their storm, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of this wind that was contrary, the Bible says, and I think it was John, and he saw them. Don't think that he doesn't see you struggling and wondering how am I going to make it work or what in the world is going to become of my family or what is going to become of my job or how am I going to be able to move on? He sees you and he wants you to be still and know. And if you're not ready to be still and know, then at least remember who you're talking about. He's the God that knelt down and said, and breathed into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life and Adam. The firstborn son of God became a living soul. He's the same God that knelt over the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that was borrowed by his precious only begotten son and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Jesus was resurrected, which is to say he was stood back up. He was resurrected from the dead and he walked through the, through the stone that was guarding the tomb because he didn't need a door. In fact, he told his disciples, I am the door. And, and for 40 or 50 days or so, Jesus would just kind of appear. He didn't need a door to walk through. He is the door. If you're not ready to be still, no, remember. Remember who chose an insignificant little teenage virgin to be the first carrier of the gospel. Women can't preach. That's a lie told by insecure men. That have taken out of context one thing that Paul said to one church in Corinth. It would also be a woman that would be the first to carry the gospel. Not that Jesus is born, but now he's also born again from the dead. It was Mary that looked into the tomb and said, he's not there. I'm telling you, disciples didn't even believe her except John and Peter. And John said, Peter, we got to go see. And he outran Peter all the way because Peter means rock, but John's name means the beloved. Those that are beloved will always outrun those that are trying to keep the stone tablet law. It, oh, man. And he knelt in, he looked in. If you're not ready to, to know, if you can't be still and know, if your circumstances are all about you, remember it's the Jesus that walks into a little dead girl and says, Talitha kumi, which is to say, arise little girl. It's the same Jesus that would be on his way to Jairus' house. 
And on his way to Jairus' house, he's so full of the presence of his father that a woman to whose house he was not going says, I'm not waiting for Jesus to come to me. I'm going to go get to Jesus. And she struggles and fights and pushes her way, anemic though she was and bleeding to death and having spent all of her riches on doctors and no one can help her. Not the preacher downtown, not the priest in the synagogue, and not the doctor of the city. And she had spent everything and she had lost her husband and she had lost her kids and she had lost her stature and standing in society but she said I ain't waiting for nothing else I got, I'm somewhere between desperation and death I got one last oomph in me I've got one last push and with my last push I got to get to Jesus she barely makes it and collapses at his robe falls on her face and just with enough room to reach out her hand and grab that robe and the Bible says when she grabs the robe, instantly her problem was gone. Instantly her issue was not the issue because she touched the one that is the issue. And Jesus Christ was the issue that flowed out of the heart of the Father. And immediately the blood stopped. The life that was leading her wasn't leaving her no more. I'm not losing any more life if I can get to the robe of Jesus, if I can just find myself at his feet. And he was so full of the presence of God that, it, that without even touching her, she touches him. And everything that had been leaving her, her future and her life and her very blood, the Bible says life is in the blood, stopped. And Jesus turned himself about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Peter said, man, you've lost your marbles, Jesus. There's 50,000 people out here. The crowds are thronging you. They're knowing that you're going. Jesus was on his way to do something else, and his schedule was interrupted by a little bleeding woman's faith that says, you might have somebody else on your schedule, but I'm going to get you first. You might feel like God hadn't put your house on his GPS. Stop waiting on God to move, and you move and get a hold of him yourself. If you don't know, you can remember. He was so full of the presence. And they said, what do you mean? He said, I perceive, I'm aware, I know that virtue has gone out of me. I like the word virtue. This woman, can I just take a moment? Are you mad at me? Can you just tell me, throw me a hand up if I can take a moment. This woman who had lost everything in society, she was a curse according to Israeli custom, Jewish custom. Her husband wouldn't touch her anymore, couldn't touch her. Her kids didn't want to be around her. She'd spent all of her money. She was bleeding to death. She has this issue that has literally caused her to be put up away. And the words that Jesus uses, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. This woman who had been neglected and forgotten and forsaken was no longer neglected and forgotten and forsaken. She became a Proverbs 31 woman full of virtue. Uh, who can find a virtuous woman? All you got to do is look in the streets of Jerusalem when Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. You'll find a virtuous woman on her face holding on to the very garments of Jesus' robe. If you're not ready to know, maybe you can remember. Jesus walks and his two beloved friends meet him in the road. Jesus, we sent for you days ago. Where have you been? If you only would have come, if you would have done it our way, if you had done what we asked you to do, you would have taken care of the problem the way we thought you should take care of the problem. And we've seen you do it that way before, so that must have been what the plan was. Jesus, if you'd only been here, 
our brother wouldn't have died. If you'd have done it the way we've seen you do it before. Does anybody feel this? If you'd have been in Jesus said, take me to the body. Where have you laid him? And Martha says, Jesus, it's already been four days. By now the body stinks. And Jesus said, I didn't ask you about the body stinking. Tell me where you. And the Bible says, and Jesus wept. And he didn't weep because he was broken hard over Lazarus. He wept because of their unbelief. Take me where you've laid him. And he walks up to the tomb. Roll away the stone. And they roll away the stone. And Jesus says, Lazarus! The Bible says he said with a loud voice. Lazarus! If you ever walk in, in, in deliverance ministry, and some of you will and some of you won't, and that's perfectly fine. And some people, they think now the devil's all in your brain and God's all in your brain and all of it's your mind. And you just, you know, they become so smart that they're the dumbest people alive. But if you ever do face real deliverance ministry, the first thing you're going to find out is that demons, if you have power in your voice, they're afraid of you. And I learned a long time ago, when I yell at them, they're terrified of me because of who's inside of me. Sometimes you can't walk up to the devil and say, hey, devil, get out of there. Sometimes you got to walk up and, and just, yeah, and I've had that happen multiple times. I don't know why it's that way. I just thought I'd tell you. You have to ask God why. I don't know the why. I just know the what. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, he that was dead came. If you can't be still and know, you can remember. We're not talking about no weak, impotent God of history or theory. We're talking about the God. We're talking about El Shaddai, we're talking about Jehovah, we're talking about God himself. Be still and know. Let's all stand, be still and know. And some of you feel like the woman with the issue of blood and you've lost, you lost your life and you feel like all has been stolen from you and taken from you. Some of you feel like Lazarus's sisters and if God had just healed it before it had gone this bad it could have been taken care of and now it's dead and too far gone and some of you are like the, the disciples on a boat and you're professional with this water but these are waters you've not seen before and this wind is contrary and it's making fun of you you can't seem to get where you want to go in life and you don't understand why all hell's breaking loose just be still relax The posture is rest so that you can know. And if you don't know, remember. Lord, in this moment, we come before you, all of us with a story. All of us with our own situations and circumstances. Any of which, if we were to narrate them before the church, Lord, it'd bring us all to tears. And our hearts would break because I know that there are many of us in this place facing what seems to be insurmountable odds. And yet, in this moment, I hear your voice like a clarion call saying, be still and know. Relax and become aware of another reality beyond your reality. Well, what's that reality, Lord? My relationship is dead. I didn't come to have a resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. My business is dead. My dream is dead. My future seems dead. My aspirations seem dead. Everything that I thought that I would be, I've not become. And everything I thought that my children would become, they've not become. And everything that I thought would be, and I thought this, and the Lord says, be still. 
be still in this moment. I don't do it often, and I know we're close on time, but I feel like today's the day just to ask you if you, if you've felt yourself in a boat where winds were contrary, or if you've seen yourself in a battle where it seems like the odds are insurmountable, or if you've dealt, I'm going to ask you just to come up here and stand at the front with me. And I'm not going to pray necessarily over you. I don't really feel uh, an anointing to lay hands on you in this moment. Here's what I do. Rest in His presence. Just as an act of faith to remember the faithfulness of God and to remember who it is that we're speaking of. This is not some weak, impotent God. This is not, his deaf is not, his ear is not deaf that he can't hear and his arm is not shortened that he can't save. Maybe it's just for me, but if that's you, I want you to come up here to the front. In this moment, to rest. Relax and become aware of another reality. It's moments like this that make giant slayers. When you know in your own power and your own ability and everything you can do, you ain't defeating that giant because he's got more size on you, more experience on everything else. But I didn't come to you in the name of, I didn't come to you with the spear and sword. I come to you knowing in this moment we be still and know we relax we rest the God of all things that the Alpha the Omega the beginning the end the first the last He that holds the keys of death and of hell. Your God, you've not forgotten us. In this moment, we're still relax, We rest in knowing you haven't forgotten about us and you've not forgotten your promise. If you've begun a good work in us, we believe that you're faithful to complete it. Lord, as we leave this building today, Help us to exercise the practice of resting and knowing. You bring joy to your people. You make glad the cities of God. We are your dwelling place. Help us to take courage and take, take cheer, have faith. We know that no enemies will stand before us all the days of our lives. Lord, I bless your people and I stand on the mountain and look down and say, how can anyone curse what God has blessed? You've blessed them and I've blessed them. Let your people walk in your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.